The world, the world is full of great men who are not recognized for their greatness in their time. They were once called madmen, but are now hailed as geniuses who saw through the clutter and discovered the truth. Welcome to Dead Rabbit Radio. Okay, so we are back. We're back for part two of LennonMurderTruth.com. That's the website, but the the subject matter is um, the who shot John Lennon. I'm obviously I'm well I'm Jason Carpenter. I'm a little more awake now. I think I have some sort of disease that causes me to be both sleepy and have sore kidneys at the same time. I've been battling both of those for some bizarre reason. I went. I was up till one o'clock last night recording part one part one of this, and you can see that as the previous podcast, and then I had to wake up at eight in the morning to go grocery shopping. It was probably one of the most adult things I've done in quite a while. Have to wake up early, spend about four or five hours grocery shopping with a good friend of mine. We talked a bit about the podcast. What did we talk about? Uh, here's random stuff. I found out what a uh, bully stick is. After holding one, it's a bull penis. I thought it was like a walking stick. No, it's probably about three feet long. Kind of crazy. I didn't even know there's exist. Well, I knew they existed on bulls, but I didn't know it was like a dog chew toy or something like that. So anyways, I got done grocery shopping. I tried cauliflower rice for the first time. It was weird. I bought two bags of it, so I'll have to eat the other bag, but my stomach's not feeling good either. That's kind of bugging me. So, we're going to go ahead and get on with this podcast on this beautiful sunny day. Then I'm going to go take a nap. I hope your day's a little more eventful. What we're going to do now is we are going... So, we listened to his introduction last time, and it seemed fairly rambling. Even when I was listening back to it, I was like, man, this guy's really all over the place. That was him putting forward... That was his best foot forward. That was uh, Stephen Lightfoot, Steve Lightfoot, laying out his best arguments for what's going on. Now, at the end, too, I also said something about being uh, schizophrenic and or having mental illness and seeing connections where there may not be connections. I wasn't trying to imply that Steve Lightfoot suffers from those things. I don't know. That is uh, a symptom of that. Of, of different mental illnesses, but I'm not implying that he does, because I don't know. And honestly, maybe he's right. Weirder things have happened. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to look at his About Me section, which honestly is more fascinating than his introduction, because we get to learn who Stephen Lightfoot is. So again, I'm just going to go ahead and do a semi-dramatic reading of his exact words, because I think his words can say more about his arguments that Stephen King killed John Lennon, and also explain just exactly who uh, Steve Lightfoot is. And, I will say this before I get started, I 
at LennonMurderTruth.com, which is, is his website, he sells a magazine, which according to him was referenced by George Bush during the Bush-Clinton debates uh, back in, what would that have been, uh, 92. Was it 92? It was 92. So, I bought a copy today. It was only, it's only $10. I recommend that all of my listeners, new and old, go to LennonMurderTruth.com and buy a copy of his um, manifesto. There's no other way to put it. He's listed, It's like a 25-page magazine, but I guarantee you, this, I'm not joking, this will be a piece of history. It is a $10 investment for a piece of history. You have to understand, this gentleman travels the country, mostly on the East and West Coast, but selling these magazines, confronting people, and trying to build an army of acolytes to spread this truth. We're never going to have the pleasure of meeting him in real life. If You know what? And honestly, if anything, this podcast does, I hope it elevates him. But And that's, again, completely honest. I'm not being facetious. I think it's interesting he's dumped this much time, this much passion in a 30-year project. We're never going to meet him in real life. He is basically a living meme that no one's heard of. You can be one of the first people to own a copy of this magazine. I can't wait. I placed my order last night. I just got paid last night. I was able to get the web the web hosting set up for this. I did a bunch of stuff, and I ordered his magazine. Go to LennonMurderTruth.com. Check it out. Right now, I'm going to go ahead and read his About Me section, and I will be back for a little bit of commentary when we're done. Site hacked, purchase button not working. Send check to below address, please. Hi. My name is Steve Lightfoot. If you would like to purchase my evidence magazine directly, please mail $10 cash or check to me care of Steve Lightfoot. He's care of himself. Steve Lightfoot, P.O. Box 7311, so P.O. Box 7311, Carmel by the Sea, California, 93921, or email him at yahoo.com. As for the rest of you, thousands sold, no refunds requested, it's the real deal, talking about his magazine. If you would like to help me break this story and quadruple your investment after I am look, check, take. Okay, so I'm... We're going to get back into character mode. We're going to do this straight. Here's the rest of it. If you would like to help me break this story and quadruple your investment after I am looking for sponsors. I'm even looking for philanthropic people who want to get some truth for their money in this life for a change. More details are found on my new developments page, the chapter titled I Need Sponsors. My email address is LennonMurderTruth at Yahoo.com. Regarding what you may or may not have read or heard about me, let me assure you that it is almost all jealous hogwash. 
The government has its army of character assassins who want to scare you off of my findings by mischaracterizing and marginalizing me with untruths and slanted opinions. I am 100% pure American hero who discovered hard evidence in Lenin's murder and is brave enough to go public with everything until the world knows and Stephen King is jailed for murder. Any other portrayal of me is designed to scare you off of the truth I have uncovered. At present, 5-19-2015, I'm a 61-year-old, athletic, young-looking man who knows more about our sick planet than most of all of you do. I gave up a dream of playing professional golf after my discovery of government codes in major news magazines that, that linked our government and a horror writer to John Lennon's murder took over my life some 33 years ago. The biggest news story since, I'll say it, since Jesus Christ has not been so well received by my so-called fellow human being. In fact, I learned that when it comes to grappling with our collective crime of killing John Lennon, all of you people act as though I have caught all of you in Lennon's murder, and maybe that is really also the case. A phenomenon of guilt, denial, and see no, speak no, and hear no evil on the part of all guilty mankind. Even Paul McCartney has been exposed as the fair-weather friend and a bag of wussy apparently is just like all the celebrity hood and even my own family members who are also hypocrites. Of course, Yoko is a government bitch who still babysits the cover-up in New York like the Judas cunt that she is, and the U.S. media is too cowardly to do their job, partly because the CIA has taken over our media. Of course, you all may think all of this to be a little too rich and over the top, but it is not. I am the messenger. Hi, my name is Steve Lightfoot. I was born in Helena, Montana, March 1st, 1954, and I was raised in Northern California in a small town called Healdsburg. Lightfoot is an English surname, and I am also part Scot, Irish, and Yugoslavian. My father was a doctor and my mother a housewife. I have two brothers and a sister, and I had a pretty normal upbringing. I attended a private parochial grade school and public high school and two junior colleges. My grades were good, and I liked baseball and basketball, tennis, and especially golf, which became a professional ambition of mine while in my 20s to be a professional golfer. This ambition saw me attach myself to restaurant work, cooking, waiting, managing, and I had a large number of different jobs as well. It was while back east in Georgia that I found myself both playing the bigger amateur events and working. I met a young woman at the time who proved to be quite the traumatized liar. When we met, she gave me a phony name and passed and lived with me for a short time. <laughs> Many melodramatic events, a breakup, and over a year later, I would find out her real name, past, etc. This experience made me different from most of you because I was no longer naive about liars or lies. I knew intimately how convincing they could be. My golf career peaked, missing a berth in the U.S. Amateur by one shot. During this period, I returned to California to study golf technique near Monterey. Just as I was crawling my way back to a golf career, John Lennon was assassinated, and I knew instinctively that the story about a lone drifter was government media hogwash. 
that huge players were behind the murder and that America and all the people of the world had just been victimized by evil bastards. Like most of you, I assumed they would not leave evidence. The government rarely does. But when there was no trial for the alleged gunman, Mark Chapman, I knew almost for certain that indeed the government killed John Lennon. He was the hottest political firebrand to threaten the establishment since Gandhi and possibly Jesus Christ himself. Richard Nixon tried to illegally deport John while president, but that was, at first, a hazy fact that needed refreshing. On July 22, 1982, a year and a half after the murder and weeks after seeing the tiny, buried clipping about Chapman's closed-door guilty plea, I decided to reread the murder reports to see how Chapman skipped trial. I burst through the library doors, sensing drama and a sense of urgency, and as I entered the room, I grabbed a year-old copy of Us magazine that happened to be on the first table I passed. It had John and Yoko on the cover. I went to the magazine section and grabbed all the time, Newsweek, and U.S. News and World Report magazines dated December 15, 1980, I could find, not knowing then that those issues were released December 8th, the day of the murder. I first read the Us Magazine article and learned that Nixon tried to illegally deport John in the early 70s because of his high political profile in pronouncements against the Vietnam War and Nixon himself. John invented the term Tricky Dick, in fact. I then turned to the issue of Time in Newsweek and simultaneously noticed there was no murder report in the December 15 issues as they were released December 8th, the day of the murder. I also noticed that most of the bold print headlines read like a code about John's assassination. In Time, for example, quote, Watching civilization slide into barbarism and banality. All the president's magazines. Death Trail. Double Talk. Silencing an almost free press. Jailing the News, the FBI's show of shows, unholy ministry, a gambler's luck runs out, death comes from the prime minister, defiant widow in the dock, who's in, who's out, fitting together like pieces of a complicated jigsaw puzzle. It was the ominous headline, who's in, who's out, above just selected Ronald Reagan that made my heart sink. After all, Reagan was in, and Lennon was out. I then noticed the smaller headline below the photo, fitting together the pieces of a complicated jigsaw puzzle, as well as the fact that Richard Nixon's book, The Real War, was in the foreground of the pictures at Reagan's right-hand side. I pulled that book off the shelf and literally opened right to the page where Nixon writes, The Trendies, who say war is bad and peace is good, must be removed from the stage of public debate by whatever means necessary. A flyswatter are needed. I felt I had just stumbled, indeed, onto government codes about John's death hidden in the headlines of Time magazine. Newsweek displayed the nearly identical photo of Reagan and the real war above the headline, Headhunting the Pacific Palisades. I also found the same odd behavior in the headlines. The December 8th issue of Newsweek, printed a week before the crime, was teeming with bold print innuendo up to 75% of the messages plugging into John's upcoming murder. Pages 30 and 31, which face each other, revealed the consecutive string of headlines, Odd Men Out, Bad Blood, 
the Nixon factor, stay tuned, intensity. The body of the article had passages that read, abruptly withdrew from rising enemy fire. After he was shot down, he graciously withdrew. He intimidated some of the older guys with his brash brilliance. At that moment, at that moment, I knew I had stumbled onto government codes in Time and Newsweek. After an hour, I became so nauseous I had to leave the library and get some fresh air. That was the big revelation. Two days later, I went to the larger San Diego library and found the motherload of bold print codes and even told my girlfriend at the time that my life was in danger and I'd have to move back to Santa Rosa near where I was raised to be safer. I first went to a priest who advised me to use an alias and rubber gloves for a while. I hitchhiked to Santa Rosa and began photocopying my findings and distributing them to the media using an alias and hiding behind sunglasses. Weeks later, I found Mark David Chapman attached to a letter to the editor of U.S. News & World Report printed three weeks before the murder where Chapman explained he is, quote, armed, waiting to be moved into a hostile square by the giant hand of Ronald Reagan, unquote. Any doubts I may have had were gone, and I almost couldn't believe it all myself. U.S. news issues also carried these codes about Lenin's assassination, but on a more subdued level. I would find that the codes only last for a five-month period surrounding the crime, and, and found that the September issues were very sparse. But then a face rolled by on the microfiche, and it looked like the assassin getting John's autograph that the media showed the world. I rolled it back and knew it was him based on the code headline, One Great Big Zippo Lighter, which describes the murder scene. Then three months to come of a man in a raincoat at night with a gun blazing fire in the night. I had no idea who Stephen King was, the man attached to the headline and was under the impression that King was an alias. I compared the face to the autograph. It was indeed the same exact person. The next day, after I had calmed down enough to actually read the article, a book review about Firestarter, I, I learned who Stephen King was. At that explosive moment, my first impulse was to credit Nixon for being a criminal genius. Who would believe any of it now? Nixon, Reagan, and government codes and magazines were plausible, not Stephen King being the real killer. I had a real job ahead of me now. A brief examination of the article and King's writings convinced me it was all just too true. Now, I had to wonder was Chapman even a living person or just some convenient look-alike dead Vietnam vet with no family that the government was using to scam us with a decoy. I would later learn that Chapman was the son of a wealthy oil executive near Atlanta, Georgia, much like John Hinckley, who allegedly shot Reagan. I would learn that he was doing a stint in Lebanon, supposedly at a YMCA, in the years preceding the murder. I would learn that Chapman was living, allegedly, in Attica prison in solitary confinement. People magazine even featured him with photos taken at Attica in a 1985 article. People is printed by, you guessed it, Time. 
I think Chapman is only in jail for photo ops and to occasionally scam the other prisoners that he is there at all. And that the warden on down are in on the scam. I just don't know where he really spends most of his time. I do know that Hinckley, also an oil executive's son, made the paper saying he shot Reagan because of Lennon's murder and that, quote, America's the land where heroes are shot in the back. When John Lennon died, I died. You died. America died. The world died, unquote. Presumably as part of a mind control maneuver to suggest that one would have to be crazy to think Reagan had Lennon killed. After Hinckley was found insane, no one was parroting that line of logic. A few months after I had pieced together all the codes and evidence, Terry Chodish of the San Francisco Secret Service surprised me with a visit while I was at the Santa Rosa Library. He never denied my claims and even asked me what I thought about Hinckley. At that time, I was as ignorant as anyone else about Hinckley. He took some photographs of me, warned me I could be arrested for any threats I might make towards these politicians, and had me offer some handwriting samples, and left. I realized the next day that those samples might be used to forge a suicide note someday. I called him back and complained emphatically. I saw him, years later, out of disguise, without his blonde wig and blue contacts, with his real brown hair and eyes outside the federal building. After the first meeting, my life turned into a political dissident hell. See footnotes in New Developments page of this website. Along the way, I saw my influence shape events in ways only I could see. <laughs> I'm amazed at how big a dent I have already made, and yet, I'm still aghast at how little support I have received from my fellow man and Americans. My own mother and, and my siblings, the one constituency who should have helped me come forward so I could remove my life from danger, have taken a step back from my plight. I have witnessed the apathy of my country have come to appreciate that it is fueled by their own sense of shame, fear, jealousy, and I'll say it, misery. Everyone's afraid where political assassination is concerned but me. Even Paul McCartney, who endorsed me live at Berkeley, see website, has retreated singing, quote, words of non-wisdom, unquote, lately letting civilization slide into barbarism and banality. His recent 2002 concert passed without a relevant remark. <laughs> I don't trust Yoko to do anything but protect the lie and her estate. I feel sorry for New York City that they can't see through her. I feel sorry for New York that they tolerated a no-trial necessary remedy for Lennon's assassination. No wonder America is in such shambles. New York City is out of control and disconnected, living under government witch Yoko Ono's evil spell. I worry about all of you people for having to have me tell you why this is important and vital to begin with. 
When I started, I assumed everyone would know that this expose will unleash more power to the people than at any time in our lifetimes. If you're not excited by that fact, you indeed need my prayers too. Thank you for visiting my website. Only you can expose this story. It'll never be told until you people change, first, deep inside. Don't keep me waiting. I need your help and support. Break this story, please. Much as I was giggling and stuff in the front, I'm obviously, uh, you know, recording it and listening back to it while I'm editing it. Editing it, and he's he comes across just so heartfelt, and it's it's interesting because as I was reading it for the first time, and then again listening back to edit this, there's like this looming cloud over it because he's starting off. He's talking about you know um, the the. The finding the clues, and then he talks about his like golf career. He was he wanted to be a like a what was it a pro amateur golfer or a pro golfer or something like that. And the whole time when he starts going off on this quest to find the truth, you can all he doesn't mention his family. And the whole time I was reading it, I was like, oh, I know how this is gonna end because this is how it always ends. The family at a certain point just has to cut ties. It's really sad. I, I imagine being Steve's friend early on, back when this was all first breaking, or being his brother, sister, whatever. But you know what I mean? Just having that every afternoon, him coming home. before if this, I can't imagine how this all would have played out if the internet was around. But he was like traveling to libraries and making a day of it. And then he'll come back at the dinner table and he'll be like, oh man, you won't believe it. Today I found these three codes. And at first... You would be like, oh, okay, okay, Steve. But after like, what, how long could you do it for? Two, three months? Eventually, you would start getting upset because he's showing you, and he makes references to this um, a couple times in these manifestos, where he's showing you these codes, and to him, he's thinking, how is nobody else getting this? How these codes are so, look at this headline right here, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, uh, what was the other part? Ouch, ouch. Look at that headline and look at that date, Jason. Can't you see? And I, I would be like, well, it's a headline and a date, but no, no, no. But then you have to look at this headline and this headline. And I'd look at those three headlines and I'd go, Steve, I, you know, we've been going over this for months. I don't see anything. And how frustrated you would be if to you it was 100% in the clear, this is what's going on. And you just can't. No one believes you. And worse, people think you're crazy. Like, legitimately crazy. Again, I'm not going to cast... I think this guy's a little wacky. I don't necessarily... I don't, I'm not qualified to say that he's crazy. These, these beliefs have as much validity. 
Stephen King shooting John Lennon at the behest of Richard Nixon has as much validity, honestly, if you think about it, as 90% of the other conspiracy theories out there. Easily as much validity as something like Flat Earth. Easily. You could say, well, Building 7 has video footage and stuff like that. but And, and so it maybe has a little bit of a leg up. You know, moon landing, you can look at the... But stuff that is just completely like, nope, uh, this is just because I think it is. I don't know how gravity... This has as much validity as Flat Earth. So, you know, it's easy to kind of poo-poo conspiracy theories just offhand because they're uh, ludicrous, so they don't make sense to you. But it's about 99% of them are ludicrous. And 90% of them have as much evidence as this one does supporting it. And we'll be covering a bunch of those. So I've been researching conspiracy theories since I was probably about 15. No, 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 no. It would have been younger than that. I remember, and back then, you know, I'm I'm maybe 20 years younger than Stephen Lightfoot, but definitely older than the internet. The internet proper, when we all had access to it. I was reading books. I'd have to go to libraries and read books. So I can empathize with this guy. You know, I'd go to books. I'd go and read these books about the Bermuda Triangle, about uh, conspiracy theories and missing people and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. And I was reading it as a form of entertainment and thinking, maybe this is true. And being a little scared. Imagine, though, if that wasn't the case. Imagine if I was like, no, 100%. These people are disappearing because of holes in fabric. And I can prove it. I can absolutely prove it. I'm reading all these books, and every time someone goes missing, I'm putting a little pinprick in a door, pinprick in a map, and my family going, oh, at first they're like, oh, that's interesting. You know, Jason kind of has an interesting theory. And then at a certain point, the family just has to start going, oh, Jason. Because every time someone goes missing, they'll be like, God damn it, I know the second Jason gets home, he's going to talk about the blue hell, the blue hell the missing people go to. There is an episode coming up about Blue Hell, but I just, you know, I feel bad. I feel bad, for, you know, throughout his website. And again, LennonMurderTruth.com, go there. Buy his book. He's selling his cars. He's constantly talking about being in financial debt. He obviously has, he's held jobs in the past. His website goes over so much in detail about not only his, his political beliefs and his conspiratorial beliefs, but his life. For 20-something years, he's been doing this. Almost, what, 30 now? He's held on to this. And, you know, like I was saying, the family backing away from him. Imagine that you had a cause, a goal, a purpose that was so noble, and yet every time you moved towards it, someone was grabbing your pants, pulling you down, grabbing your pants, pulling you down, keeping you from climbing up that hill that you believe at the end is the greatest conspiracy since the time of Jesus Christ. And you're living in your van in Southern California. It boggles the mind. It boggles the mind to be that devoted to something that, you know, has evidence that you can see. I don't know. It's pretty insane. And I'm like, He's wacky. I'm not saying he's insane. Just the idea of it. And it's not like, and let me back up. I'm not being like, oh, I don't want to hurt his feelings when I say that. I don't know him. I'll probably call other people insane and lunatic and blah, blah, blah from here on out. 
I don't... He, he has some insane beliefs. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's a little bit of empathy for... Um, I was talking more trash about other people on the past couple episodes. Maybe I just have a little bit of empathy for him just because of the amount of time he's poured into this. I don't know. Now, I'm not so charitable. I'm going to give him a bunch of money just because this... I will say this. I looked him up on YouTube, and he looked way more normal than I thought he would. He describes himself as a youngish-looking man. I, I, I'd agree with that. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just weird to me. It's just weird. And I guess that's what this podcast is about. It's just about the weird things that are out there that most of us don't know about. A lot of it's going to be current events. A lot of it's stuff that's just going to be happening in the moment. Water cooler talk. But some of it's going to be a bit longer and more in-depth with this. I hope that you guys enjoyed this, just listening to this. Uh, my name is Jason Carpenter. So we have the new name, Dead Rabbit Radio. We have our website, uh, deadrabbit.com. We we're still getting the um, pictures up for that. But that is uh, getting ready to go. That'll probably be done this weekend. No, let me rephrase that. That'll be done this weekend. And then for right now, I'm just using my private email address because I don't want to set up another email address and then three months from now not be checking it. I want to have... So if you want to email me, um, basque5150 at gmail.com. That's basque5150 at gmail.com. I, you know, now that I think about it, I never gave that email address out. So how I got those weird emails uh, is kind of weird. But I got other emails about this show. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. I still don't have an ending. I have a new title. Uh, like Rabbits Down the Hole or... I don't know, man. I got to come up with something, I guess. Everybody has like a catchphrase, right? See you hopping. I don't know. We'll figure it out. My name is Jason Carpenter, and thanks for listening to Dead Rabbit.